Good morning, everybody. One tiny little thing before we um, get going. Uh, Jesus Christ uh, was a man of prayer so much that in Luke 11, his followers came and said, hey, you're different than other rabbis. You're different than us. Um, so would you teach us to be a people of prayer? That's an awesome subject, right? But I just want to say this morning that Jesus Christ lived prayer and he believed in prayer. Like he believed it would make a difference if he prayed. He believed it would make a difference if his followers would pray. Many people have observed that he didn't teach his followers to preach, but he did teach them to pray. Uh, it shows the value that he put on prayer. Uh, the Apostle Paul believed in prayer. I will be delivered through your prayers, Paul said. Uh, you also helping in your prayers, 2 Corinthians 1.11. And so I just want to say we believe in prayer. Like we believe it'll make a difference if the people of God will pray. And because of that, let me quote one verse, Romans 15 verse 30. Um, the Apostle Paul says, I beg you through the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, um, or through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. So based on that biblical precedent that the Apostle Paul would beg the Roman Christians to pray, I'm going to pass these around. Um, so this is a prayer card for the Trent family. And I'm shamelessly, I'm doing what Paul did in 2 Thessalonians. Um, yeah, and like he said, he said, I boast about you in all the churches, right? And so, and so I'm just doing the same thing. Um, it makes a difference when the people of God pray. They hit the ground in California two weeks ago, right? And um, so it's brand new, um, but, but please, please, please pray. Obviously, you don't have to take a card, but I'm going to pass them around. And um, if you would like to take one, and if it would help you remember to, to pray for them, then please do that. So I'm just going to put half on this side. Maybe after they go through, they could just end up with either Anna or with Lynn. And um, yeah, and then these are our prayer card. And so I'll do the same thing. Yeah, we believe in prayer. We desperately need prayer. Uh, we would beg the people of God to pray. The same way that Paul begged the people of God to pray. So Trent's and DeGroff's. Okay, Exodus chapter 3, if you would. Thank you guys for doing that. Yeah, and anybody that is willing to serve God by praying, um, thank you. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I think I probably admire servants of God that have been sent by God into their prayer closets uh, as much or more as I admire any servants of God in our generation. Yeah, and if you're willing to plug in to the work of God that way, um, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 1. Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 1. Let's read the Word of God together. Oh, by the way, if you're taking notes, then you can jot down the title, Moses' Excuses, God's Responses. That's what we're going to look at today. The call of Moses, and the title that I like for our purposes is Moses' Excuses, God's Responses. Okay, Exodus 3, 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert. He came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush itself was not consumed." 
Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and, and, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Father, um, yeah, thank you that I feel better than yesterday. Um, it would be foolish to be any less dependent on you today than, than we were yesterday. Um, yeah, it makes no difference what a little man uh, feels. Uh, what matters is the power of the living God manifesting itself amongst the people of God, namely by, by taking the scriptures and opening it up to us and having a desperately needed radical sanctification in us this morning. Uh, Lord, thank you for Micaiah and what he will share in just a little bit. Uh, thank you for these thoughts from your word. Would you please, 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 please would you please raise up a generation that will be used for as much possible glory as an omnipotent God can pull off? Uh, we know that you're committed to, to your glory. I am the Lord. There is none other. I will not share my glory with another. And so we pray that you would work among us this morning. Please, Lord, please, yeah, have your way. Uh, speak to your servants what they need. Um, yeah, I would even say we offer our bodies as living sacrifices and just say, please, have your own way. We put our whole lives, we put our children, we put all our possessions, the same as Ezra's day. We put everything in your presence and say, please, you speak and we will follow. Lord, you know in the minds and the hearts in this circle, if there's people that, that are unwilling to personally pray that prayer, then please deal with that too. You're the God who works in us to will and to do according to your good pleasure. So please, please, please have thine own way, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, amen. So what we just read about was the call of Moses. And what we're going to focus on mostly today is Moses' excuses and God's responses to those excuses. This is massively encouraging. Um, I would be so shocked if, if any one of us around this circle this morning does not identify with Moses as we go through uh, these, these five excuses that, that Moses makes. So maybe this morning, Maybe some of you will be called to witness to a coworker, and you'll know it. Sitting there, you'll know the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God, right? Romans chapter 8, those that are led by the Spirit are sons of God. And you'll know it sitting in your seat. God wants me to share Christ with 
a coworker. Maybe the Lord is going to call you to share Christ with your boss. Maybe the Lord is going to call you to do a job that you don't like for his glory. Maybe he's going to call you to help at kids club, to clean the building, to prepare for public ministry when you'd prefer to watch a movie with your spouse. Uh, Maybe he would call you to be a salesman. I put that one in there because my dad was a salesman and my oldest brother was a salesman and I swore all my life um, that I would never be a salesman. And then I came out of Bible college with my wife and I had a little sign that said, we'll work for food. And uh, it was the only thing that I could find, right, to support my family was being a salesman. I was called to be a salesman in my 20s by God. And it was just as important for me to honor Christ at 8 o'clock on Monday morning as it was to honor Christ at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning. And these were great lessons, right, that I, that I, learned, through my, that I learned through my 20s. Um, yeah, maybe the Lord will call you to be a missionary, to leave your home, to leave your land, to leave, right? Like when Peter says, hey, we've left everything to follow you. What shall we have? And Jesus Christ says to Peter, it's going to be so worth it. And then he lists off the things, right? He says, yes, you've, you've left home. You've left, right, the comfort of home, the comfort of the land that you were familiar with. And then he lists off six familial relationships. Yeah, like it shows you the emphasis of God. Maybe the Lord will call people to that. Home, land, six familial relationships that the Lord calls people to, to, to leave on his behalf. Yeah, real sacrifices that people are called to. Maybe you'll called to, you're, be called to be an elder. Yeah, it's a hard work. Yeah. Yeah, elders don't talk about it, but I know an elder in the Midwest that came home from a meeting and laid down on his kitchen floor. This guy's not an emotional guy. Laid down on his kitchen floor and just cried. And his wife got behind him and and just put her arms around him and just laid there on the kitchen floor and held her husband while he cried. It's a hard work. Yeah, like if all of us as young men, if if I can still call myself that, but if we as very young young men um if we knew all that was ahead of us, man, I think we would even pull back more maybe from that work. But maybe that's what you'll be called to. Maybe you'll called, be called to be an elder's wife and not be selfish with your husband. Yeah, be willing to be self-sacrificial and push your husband out the door to do the work of God and bear more weight than your, your proportionate amount. Maybe bear more weight than you see other wives bearing because you're pushing your husband out the door to do the work that God has called him to. That's a noble thing. That's a very noble thing. Uh, maybe you'll be called to be a full-time worker. Maybe that'll be your heart, and you'll be like David, and the Lord will say, no, that's not for you. Like, that's for your son to do. Like, you lay up all the resources. Yeah, who knows what the calling of God will be? But every one of us have a calling, don't we? Every believer in this circle, Ephesians 2.10, God prepared our good works beforehand that we should walk in them. Every one of us have a calling, a general calling and a specific calling, if we're mature enough and wise enough to, to know what that is and, to, and if we're willing to follow it. So Moses in Egypt ran ahead. He looked this way and he looked that way. And then he ran ahead in youthful zeal and, um, and tried to accomplish with the arm of the flesh um, the leading that God was leading him in, but he tried to accomplish it in his own strength. He spent 14,600 days in the desert, right? He became something in Egypt and then he became nothing in the desert, right? And the Lord looks at him and says, okay, now I can use you. Like God always crushes a servant before he greatly uses a servant. 
You see that through all through the scriptures. And now Moses is going to be called, and it's funny how the flesh manifests itself. In Egypt, the flesh manifested itself by running ahead of God. Now in the desert, the flesh manifests itself by pulling back at the call of God. Yeah, and that's what we're going to look at, look at today. Um, point number one in my outline, point number one is I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Yeah, I am not good enough. That's kind of the first way we react when God calls us to something. Um, I'm not equipped for that. I'm inadequate. Yeah, I want you to notice a couple things about our reading in 1 through 10, and then we're going to go right into Moses' excuse in verse 11. But in verse number 4, it says, So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him. So in my little margin in my Bible, I just have written God's presence. This was an amazing day. We made this point yesterday, right? Like he had 14,600 days in the desert where the bush wasn't burning. But on this day, the bush was burning. Uh, this is what Micah referred to as a theophany, a Christophany, right? This is an appearance of the second member of the Godhead. Text is super clear, like God called to him out of the bush. And it, and it calls him the angel of the Lord in verse 2. And so he meets with God. So I just want you to notice that Moses had the privilege of meeting with God. So let me ask on behalf of the living God this morning, did everybody take advantage of the privilege that you have to live the exact same kind of life as Moses this morning? I hope so. I was sitting there looking at this this morning and I thought, man, how many Hebrews would walk up to us and lovingly walk right up to us and say, why do you, why do you choose to live uh, in such a poverish way spiritually? Like, you have things that we didn't have. You were the richest people of all of human history. Like, I imagine the patriarchs walking up to the people of God today and saying, you are the richest people spiritually of all of human history. You have a friendship with God. You are invited to boldly, with freedom of speech, the Greek word means, come into his presence, right? That you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You have a position Right, You have an intimacy. You have been taught to pray in a way that we could not even fathom in our day. We would not speak the words that you guys are taught to speak. And then I just imagine like Hebrew after Hebrew after Hebrew from the Old Testament saying, why, why are you not living in the riches? Like God gave you $6 billion when you, like you hit the lottery when you came to know Christ. Why do you live so poverishly at your own choice? Yeah, so Moses meets with God, God's presence. Yeah, God help us to be a people that are smart enough to meet with God. We can do this every day. This can be our every day. Yeah. I don't want to take a lot of time to go into this, but 1 John 1, 1 through 7, right? Truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, don't miss it. Right? Don't miss it. Don't miss it. This is what we want for you. Like, I'm sharing this so that you enjoy what we're enjoying. And what we're enjoying is fellowship with the Father and with His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I write these things to you so that your joy may be full. John 15, same argument. Jude 20 and 21, same argument. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Yeah, amazing. God's presence. So God is calling to Moses out of the bush. Moses meets with God. Micaiah did an awesome job last night of talking to the young people about this, right? Some people meet with God intimately. Some people meet with God distantly. Some meet, people meet with God perpetually, like constantly. Um, yeah, where are we? 
Are we smart enough to take advantage of the riches that we have in Christ? Okay, look at verse 8. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. What I want you to see is God's vision. So God is a God of vision. All through the scriptures, he's a God of vision. And we're dropping into one little point in human history here, and we're observing that this God is a God of, of crazy, awesome vision. He says, I, I, I'm, I've come down, right? He's talking to Moses. I have come down, and I'm going to bring you from where you are, my people, from slavery, and I'm going to bring them up to a good land, a large land, a land flowing with milk and honey, Right? And then he names all the people that are in the land now. This is what I'm going to do. I have such good purposes for you. This is such a treat for me to be able to say this. This is so humbling to say this in the presence of God and his people. Everything that we read about in the scripture, it's all true in our generation. Like the victories that are desperately needed in Joshua's day, those victories are desperately needed in our day. The assurances that God gives Moses are the same assurances that we find in the New Testament. I will never leave you nor forsake you. As I was with Moses, he says to Joshua, so I will be with you. And then Hebrews 13.5 says the exact same thing to us. Yeah, it's amazing to be alive. I love this generation, and I'm so thankful for every one of you. Every New Testament soldier of Christ Jesus. We need every soldier, and we must be a people that are radically sold out to God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and that go forward in that Luke 9, pick up your cross daily, Luke 14, forsake all and follow him. We must go forward in that way. We must allow the Lord, to the living God, to, to use us to see the victories of God in our generation, just like we look back and we see the victories of God. They let them, the Lord use them. In their day, we must learn the lessons of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 10, these things were written for your benefit. So God's vision. He has an amazing vision today. He has cities that will be conquered today. He has a love for the lost that we don't have to question. He has a love for the church that we don't have to question. What an amazing privilege. Yeah, so he's a God of, he will meet with his people. Um, he has great vision if we will just follow him. And then, point number one, I'm not good enough. Let's read verse 11. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So just to state it one more time, I'm not good enough and I am inadequate. That is how Moses responded to the call of God. Man, that's how I respond to the call of God too, consistently. I mean, it was true in, in high school. It was true in my 20s. One time I, 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 I thought, I said to my wife, babe, I, I think the Lord would have me have a global perspective in my preaching. And um, I've always known that I was called to North America. I knew that in high school. Um, yeah, and so I always knew this is my burden. But I knew that the Lord wanted me to have a global perspective and to bring that global perspective to my preaching in North America. And so I prayed one time, Lord, if you want me to travel overseas, would you open the door? And, and like a week and a half later, Mike Atwood, who I think many of us know and love, 
Um, he came through town. I met him for the, for, I think, if I'm remembering right, the first time. And sitting at a restaurant over lunch, um, he said, hey, we've been praying that the Lord would double our team. Like last year, we went to Kenya, and um, there were two of us. Next year, there's going to be, four, we want four of us. We want two teaching teams. Would you pray about that? So I asked one time, and then the Lord just whoo, opens the door. So I prayed about it with my wife. I bounced it off our oversight. Um, It wasn't that hard to recognize the Lord's leading in it. And so we said, okay. And then I started to deeply regret saying, okay. And I actually called them and asked them permission to bail. Like months later, I called Sam Thorpe and Mike and, uh, and I said, would you please let me out of this, right? And they said, why? And I said, this is crazy. Like, I'm 25 years old, and and what I agreed to was flying halfway around the world to teach elders. Like, that just seems really ridiculous. Yeah. And and, uh, they said, oh, you don't understand, like, the cultural differences, and I'm going to stop there. But, But I have consistently always responded the way that Moses responds in this text. Right? Who am I to do to do what you are calling me to do? When God commissioned Moses to lead the people out of of Egypt, he replied, who am I? In the first place, he questioned his ability to face Pharaoh. Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh? In the second place, he questioned his ability to lead and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. It is, of course, quite wrong for any servant to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, Romans 12.3. On the other hand, it's equally wrong to question the will of God and to make our limitations an excuse for failure to serve him. When God calls us to serve him, he always makes available the necessary resources. Moses was no exception. The command, come now therefore I will send thee, was accompanied by the promise, certainly I will be with thee. The Lord Jesus commissioned his disciples in the same way. Go ye therefore and teach the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. Like Moses, we all feel our weaknesses, whether in leadership or in any area of service. But like Moses, we are all promised divine strength. Let us listen again to the voice of our beloved Lord as he says, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So God calls Moses. What a crazy, amazing honor to be called by God. Every believer around this circle has been called by God. If we understand the scripture, every one of us are going to be called to unique works that you have been, you're perfectly built by God. Like if we have good theology, we all agree with this. You are perfectly built by God naturally. You are perfectly gifted by God spiritually at salvation. You will be perfectly shepherded by God. You will be perfectly loved by God. You will be perfectly, as you're yielded, empowered by God. You are being perfectly sanctified by God, and you will be perfectly glorified by God. Amen? That's just good theology. Man, it has everything to do with our focus, doesn't it? Yeah, like all of us have this tendency to think about ourselves when the call of God comes. Yeah, like maybe the call of God is to self-sacrificially love a, love a spouse in a marriage that's not doing so great. Yeah, hard, hard things that God calls his servants to. What is God's answer? Um, verse 12. So he said, this is God's response to Moses, I will certainly be with you, 
This shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Again, this is massively encouraging. If you're taking notes, please write this down. God's response is twofold. The letter A of his response is, I will be with you. The abiding presence of God. We live or die with the presence of God. And I'm talking about the work. I don't mean heaven or hell. I mean the work that we're called to. We live or die with the presence of God. And because it's the greatest biblical way, we have to emphasize something by repeating it three times. We live or die with the presence of God. So in John 5, the Lord Jesus going about his ministry, he said, apart from the Father, I do nothing. And then he's trying to teach his followers how to go on apart from his physical presence in John 15. And he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in my love. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will bear much fruit. By this is my Father glorified. And then by the way, if you abide in me, then ask anything you want and it shall be done for you. Yeah, amazing. Like amazing. The riches that we have in God. This whole Christian life is amazing. Perfectly designed by God. Yeah. So I'm not good enough. And he says, I will be with you. Um, we have the same exact promise. Hebrews 13, 5. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. One word means I will never cease strongly supporting you. The other word means I will never walk away from you. Beautiful. I will never stop strongly supporting you. I will never walk away from you. That's our New Testament doctrine, right? But we, can, we have the same thing that Moses had, a promise of the abiding presence of God. Um, the second thing that the Lord says is a promise of victory. In, in uh, verse, verse um, 12, he says, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. That's a promise of victory. Like beforehand, the God who dwells outside of time it says, Moses, for your benefit, you are guaranteed success. It's amazing to enter into a battle with a God that can guarantee success. Amen? Amen? I mean, what a privilege for little people like us. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And yet, with the Lord Jesus Christ, we're more than conquerors. Yeah, we, we cannot fail with him. Moses was really smart, right? In coming chapters in Exodus, like he said, if your presence doesn't go with us, I don't want to go. That is so smart. The abiding presence of God. Um, yeah, it means everything. The scripture says, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Maybe some of you will claim that today as, as your, your text that God would hand you today. Right? Not just the general revelation, but the specific application by the Holy Spirit to you and to your life and to what you're called to. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. That's the kind of thing we can quote every day. Yeah, so application is, um, it is not humility, but a lack of faith and a lack of focus to say, to say, I'm not good enough. I'm inadequate. That is not humility. It's a lack of proper focus and it's a lack of faith in the ability of God. Okay, uh, second excuse that Moses, that Moses makes, um, verse number 13. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? 
And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Then he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. So Moses' excuse, this is point number two in the outline, I don't know enough. I don't know the answer to all these questions. Like, what if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? Yeah. Has anybody ever let them hold that, let, let that hold them back? Yeah. I, I, um, I know this is being recorded and will go out publicly, and, and it's okay if it gets back to them. Um, I love this. A servant of God uh, who followed Jesus Christ into his prayer closet um, contacted us recently and he said I've been praying for this this amount of time and he said I believe in the presence of God that the Lord has given me uh, the strategy that he wants me to have for the reaching of my state for Christ in the next generation and, um, and he said where do we go from here like what do we do and then in the course of that conversation um, he said this little statement and I actually didn't I didn't pick up on it because we were talking about so many things but he said right now I'm studying and he said, I just feel like I'm not yet ready to go out and share Christ. I need to know more before I'm ready to go out and share Christ. Now, I'm 100% in favor of being equipped, right? But, oh, I've, I've let that stumble me um, from sharing Christ, right? One thing I know, once I was blind, but now I see. Um, and I've seen people actually live 10 years, 20 years, sometimes 30 years repeating that phrase. Like as soon as I get through this, like they'll be studying something. As soon as I get through this, then I'm going to be ready. I just need to know a little more. That's a, that's a trick from the enemy. Yeah, now again, we're in favor, right? The scripture's in favor of being adequate, equipped for every good work, for sure. But we must obey God as we are as we are um, looking to him for adequacy. So he says, I don't know enough. Notice God's answer in verse number 14. God said to Moses, this is his response, I am who I am. He's the self-existent God. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And then in verse 15, he says, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. In verse 16, um, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. Uh, verse 17, I have said I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. Like he gives him this whole, this whole message. And then verse 18, he gives them an assurance. Then they will heed your voice. Man, it's so good. The assurance of God. And so I would sum it up this way. Um, God's response, letter A, I am who I am. In other words, you don't have to defend God. And you don't have to know everything. Right? The word of God, of course, a famous servant of the past said, the word of God is like a caged lion. You don't have to defend it. You just have to let it out. Yeah. It will work. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Praise God that we are not the power of God unto salvation. Amen? Amen. Yeah. We know how little we are. Like he knows our frame that we are but dust. And we agree with that. James 3, we all stumble in many ways. Yeah, for sure. So he says, I'm the self-existent God. You don't have to defend me, right? Just represent me. And then a letter B, God's answer, I am has sent me to you. So Moses is just supposed to proclaim it. I have sent you, he said. Just proclaim it. And then again, he guarantees um, 
that, that in the long run, there will be victory. They will heed your voice. Oh, that's powerful. That's powerful. Do we believe that the gospel is going to work in the next generation? <laughs> yeah. That's so important, isn't it? Do we believe that the gospel is going to work in the next generation? Yeah. Man, we should go forward from this place with a radical confidence in our God. Jesus Christ is more passionate about souls than any other person we've ever met. The greatest missionary of all time. And he said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's never taken a generation off. He's not going to take a generation off. He's faithful to all generations. We should go forward with the same kind of radical confidence that the Lord is trying to build into Moses. That's how we should leave Yosemite. That's how we should live this week. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy for little people like us to be able to live that way. Okay, point number three. Excuse number three. Uh, Let's go down to chapter four, verse one. So Moses listens to God. He's already said, I'm not good enough. He said, I don't know enough. And then chapter four, verse one. Then Moses answered and said, suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. So simply put, um, point three, what if they won't believe me? What if I go and tell them and they won't believe me? Ever let that hold you back? Ever, ever let the devils lie? Um, the unbelievers, they don't really want to hear this. They don't really want to know about this message. Yeah. Ever let that hold you back? Yeah. Notice in the context that um, Moses is concerned about the people of God believing him and Pharaoh believing him. And we do that too. Like young, zealous people. Man, I had good conversations with so many of you yesterday. That's such a privilege and such a joy to my heart. Young, zealous people will sometimes say this. Like, what if they don't believe me? Speaking of the people of God. What if they don't believe me? Speaking of the lost. Um, 40 years later, like 14,600 days later, Moses still remembers the rejection of Pharaoh. In fact, Acts 7 records this. Um, this. Oh, this is such an amazing little phrase. In Acts chapter 7, it says of Moses, he thought that they would understand. Speaking of the Hebrew people, like when he came, he thought that they would understand that God meant to deliver them by his hand. But they didn't. They turned on him. Man, that must have hurt Moses. So he says, what if they don't believe me? Um, God's response, verse 2. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. Um, In other words, God's answer, I will provide the proof. You don't have to worry about the proof. I'll provide the proof. We should go forward with this kind of confidence. Like when we talk to people about the living God, about how he loves them, how he'll judge sin, but how he desires that none should perish, but that all come to repentance. Like when we go forward with that message, we should have an equivalent, appropriate confidence that God will provide all the proof necessary for any honest person to believe. He both has provided and will provide. He desires them to be saved. Amen? 
Like more, more, like if my little girl, she's not so little, she's 22 years old. I'm just going to keep her little in my mind as long as I can. Um, but my, my little girl that is so precious to me, if some evil man held, had her, right? Like how hard would you have to work to convince me to save her? And that's a poor reflection of the love of God. I mean, he desires souls so passionately. He is so committed right, to the reaching of souls. Like the Apostle Paul, reflecting Christ's heart, says that I might win the more. We can believe him and we can go forward in that, in that confidence. I will provide the proof. He talks about the rod of God turning into a serpent. Put your hand in your bosom, pull it out. Um, it's white with leprosy. That's an incurable disease at this time. And then put it back and, and it's, all of a sudden it's cured. Right, and so he's providing proof, water to blood, right? So he's taking away life-giving water and turning it into to blood. Um, yes, he's just saying, I will provide all the proof necessary. Um, there is enough proof in the scripture, and there's a living God that will work with souls. There is enough proof for any thinking, sincere person to believe. It is a reasonable faith. By the way, that distinguishes biblical Christianity from every other belief system on planet Earth. Amen? Yeah, there is enough. It, it is a, a thinking person's faith system. It is a historically accurate, true faith system. The problem is not the paucity of available truth. It's the hypocrisy of our search. I like that quote. And after I looked up the word paucity, I was like, oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> it means a lack of. The problem is not a lack of available truth. It's the hypocrisy of the search of man. Yeah, in the scripture, there's a, there's a verse that in my mind is one of the key verses of all of scripture. John 7, 17. It says, um, if anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, the truth. Yeah, so in other words, the will is the key to the intellect. They will not understand. They, they will not submit their will, and therefore, they are not able to see, right? And of course, the God of this world blinds their eyes. We need to pray the prayer of Ephesians 1 for the opening of the eyes of our hearts, right? For believers and unbelievers. Um, yeah. What if they won't believe me? God says, I will provide all the proof that's needed. Um, next one, verse 10. This will be point four, verse 10. Chapter four, verse 10. Moses says to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Uh, point number four in your outlines, I don't have the skills required. I don't have the skills required. Ever let that hold you back? I told Lynn on a Sunday night, I, I was just kind of chuckling and remembering. Um, we've been involved in camp work for uh, pretty much our whole lives. Um, and pretty much after I gave every first message at a week of camp, I just felt like running for my life. I just wanted to go home pretty much every time. There were a few exceptions, but pretty much every time. I just wanted to go home. Yeah, like, Lord, why, why did I accept this? this yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's so easy to identify with Moses. I don't have the skills. Um, you know, in other words, what we're saying when we say that, Lord, you are calling someone to a task that you have not equipped them to do. 
Ultimately, that's what we're saying. It's a statement of unbelief, and of course, it's, a, it's an improper focus. Again, we're looking at ourselves instead of looking at the Lord and his adequacy. And God responds so beautifully, verse 11. The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you shall say. I want you to notice a couple of things. Um, well, uh, first of all, for your notes, God's answer, who made man's mouth? Specifically, I will teach you, I will be with your mouth. So, so as you're obeying, right, as you're going, I will teach you. Once upon a time, a wonderful preacher said, we will never, I can't quote it, but he'll, he said, we will never experience what God wants us to experience, and we will never see the victories of God if we don't get out of the cave. Do you guys remember that wonderful preacher? <laughs> yeah. So as you're going, I will teach you. That's how it works. Yieldedness leads to equipping. Yeah, he doesn't call the equipped. He equips the call. And then um, he says, uh, I will be with your mouth. So go, I will be with your mouth. I will teach you what you shall say. And now I hope that this is encouraging to you. Also notice in the text, he says, um, who made man's mouth? Who made the mute? That's a disability. The deaf, that's a disability. The seeing, that's an ability. Or the blind, that's, that's a disability. And so God says, I'm the God who makes you exactly what you are. I made you with your abilities. I made you with your disabilities. I made you perfectly. You do not have to think about that. You just have to obey my call, and then I will teach you. Now, it's also, it is amazing. Um, in the New Testament, it says Moses was mighty in word and deed. He was an eloquent leader of God's people. He was famous in Egypt, right? So he was mighty in his, in his speaking ability and in his deeds. And yet 14,600 days in the desert, becoming something that he would have disdained before, now he feels like, I can't, I can't, I can't do that, right? I, mean, I don't speak well. The idea of standing before Pharaoh, revered as a god by his people, most powerful man on earth at that time, like he just said, I don't, I don't see how this, is, how this would work out. Um, yeah, I will teach you. I will be with your mouth. Okay, last one. Point number five. Verse 13. But he said, O my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So point number five in the outline, can't someone else just do it? We finally get down to the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is self-will. Like when you're called by God, the immediate thing that comes rushing in is self. I like my homeland. Right? That comes rushing in. I like my house. That comes rushing in. Lynn and I had a 3,300 square foot home in Topeka, Kansas that we paid $169,000 for. Right? Same as California, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much exactly the same. Right? But that, that, that's listed in the scripture. I like the Midwest where I grew up and where we raised our kids. That's in the scripture. I like my house that I paid 169000 for. I like my six familial relationships. I don't know enough. I'm not equipped. 
I don't speak well. I'm not a gifted evangelist. Like, I mean, this is what happens, right? And then we finally get down to where, like, God deals with all of our excuses. And what he unveils is the ugliness of a heart that, that we are entertaining self-will as opposed to death to self. You lead, I'll follow. George Mueller said that 90% of the difficulty in knowing and doing the will of God is being emptied of self. And once we genuinely come to the place where we're emptied of self in the presence of God, that we will genuinely do whatever God calls us to, it is actually not hard at all for God to lead his servants. But that's the hardest part of it, is just genuinely being emptied of self. You call, and I'll do it. So, uh, God's answer, he was angry. In verse 14, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know he can speak well. Look, he is coming out to meet you. I'm going to stop there. Um, please notice, please, 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 please notice, right? What Moses ended up with because of his self-will was God's second best. Yeah, so I beg you, in the next generation, let's, let's determine to press forward by faith and by grace into God's best for the next generation. Amen? Oh, man, I want that. Let's pray for that. Can we pray for that? That we will, we will want God's best. We, like Aaron, Aaron was not Moses. Aaron led the people of God. He cooperated with the people of God into the idolatry that we read about later in Exodus. He was not Moses. Moses' determination of self-will led to God's second best. Psalm 81 proves this out. Oh, that my people would listen to me. Oh, that my people would listen to me. I would have fed them with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock, I would have satisfied them. But my people would not, right? So I turned them over to their own counsel to walk in their ways. God is a gentleman. If you refuse, 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 refuse. That's what Moses did five times. Then he's like, okay, like I'm willing to let you live in second best as opposed to my best. Yeah, man, let's beg God. Let's just say, okay, I'm in by grace and I want, I want your best and I want the best in the next generation. So obedience has a price tag. Obedience is costly. Disobedience costs far more. We do the same thing. This is our application. I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. What if they don't believe me? I don't have the skills. Can't someone else just do it? Queen Elizabeth in 1952 um, she sent out an invitation worldwide and that she was going to be crowned as the next reigning monarch uh, from, for Great Britain. And, and at the bottom of the invitation, it said um, these four words. It said, all excuses set apart. In other words, that you, you can't make any excuses. <laughs> you are invited and you are demanded to come to the coronation of the next ruling monarch of the British Empire right? So if that's true for Queen Eng the Queen of England, if she can bear that kind of weight, right, and say that to people, when the King of Kings calls little people like us, we can't treat him with less respect than the Queen of England is due. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for the Word of God. Um, thank you for your work in this circle. Uh, we commit ourselves to you in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen.